Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And this week we have kind of a different short episode for you because uh, we are leaving. We're leaving our respective cities and we are converging where we went to school-ish and we're going to see each other in person. And I'm not bringing my laptop with me because I literally do not have space on the plane. I need to bring Cat back and I can't do both. So we are here. We are queer, one of us, and we're doing this instead. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're both going home. Home is a relative term here. And we're going to see each other, but we don't have the time or the energy or, again, the space to bring all of our equipment to record together. So we're recording before we leave. And yeah, I guess that's that, right? Yeah. What are we talking about this week? So this week, uh, we're having a relatively short episode. You might think that we're breezing through these, um, but it's because we are. And also, they're short. Yeah. We've had some fun episodes lately, and this will be another one, but we'll be back normally soon. You know, we're living in difficult times. I'm just going to bring this up for our Canadian listeners because we are living in difficult times. Um, the Canadian Red Cross and the government of Canada are partnering together to raise funds for Ukraine. The government of Canada is matching the donations made to the Red Cross up to $10 million. So if you have some funds to spare, whatever money you're giving to the Red Cross will be matched. So your money is kind of doubled. Thank you, Amy. If you feel like the weight of the world is too much and you feel like you need to be doing something, Something, donating to the Red Cross, at least now your money will be worth doubled. Yeah, everything is terrible and weird, and we're here for you. We hope that this little podcast gives you 20 or so minutes of just fun and reprieve from the weight of the world, but you know, we're here and it's a tough time still. I'm done living in interesting times, but. You know what else is interesting? What's interesting? Shel Silverstein. Wow, what a great segue. <laughs> so this week we're going to be talking kind of surface level about Shel Silverstein's poems and uh, children's book. We won't have the time to go into everything he's done, but at some point I think we could and should revisit. We'll be doing a light survey course of Shel Silverstein today. Pretty much. It's like a, we're going to dip your toes in and then you can go and do more research for yourselves and come back to us with more ideas. We really want wanted to read the poems on air, but unfortunately, Shel Silverstein is not yet in the public domain in Canada. So if you want to read the poems that we're analyzing today, we'll tell you the names and you can pause and go look them up and read them if you wish before, but we'll briefly summarize all of them as usual. Correct. Also, his publisher is very stringent about copyright rules, so we are actually going to really pay attention to them this time around. We always pay attention. <laughs> you do, I don't. <laughs> so Sheldon Allen Silverstein was born in 19... 19- That's his name! Sorry, his name's Sheldon. I'm gonna yeah. stop you right there. Yes. Okay, that's awesome. Yes, I was just thinking earlier how good of a name Sheldon is. That's an amazing name. Yes, so Sheldon Allen Silverstein, maybe it's Silverstein. I don't think so, I've never heard it pronounced that way. I'm ESL. Um, was born in 1930 and passed away in 1999. He was literally a renaissance man, but also that doesn't fully englobe everything he's done. So he was a writer, he was a poet, he was a cartoonist, a songwriter, and a playwright. Question. Yes. Did he illustrate his own works? Yes. Heck yeah. So he developed his own writing and own cartoonist styles basically on the fly as he grew up and stuff because he like he had no other influences. He's like, I didn't know about all these other cartoonists and stuff until much later, until I had already developed my own style. So he's truly like an original TM, you know? 
Yeah, the OG. The OG. So I'm going to tell you a bit about like his career, which is long. And it, this, again, is going to be very surface level, but I feel like there are things you need to know. Um, the first is that he used to write travel comics for Playboy magazine. Sorry, that's so many things. What is a travel comic for Playboy magazine? What does that entail? So he wrote like tiny car- cartoons, essentially, mm-hmm. about his travels around the world. Mm-hmm. And they were published in Playboy magazine. Like just Garfield style comic strips, but they were slightly horny comics about travel. They weren't even that horny. Like at one point he had one about Switzerland and like the comic essentially is like, I'm giving them another 15 minutes and if they don't start yodeling, I'm going back to the hotel. <laughs> so they were just kind of like funny cartoons, a bit more crass than his children's work. But yeah, he just like wrote cartoons for Playboy. Like he brought his portfolio to Playboy magazine unsolicited and was like hey here's what i can do and like hugh hefner was like good let's add this to our portfolio and then he was published what? in playboy and he has a collection of them put together called silver scene around the world so basically it's just all his travels like he was paid to travel and write comics about it that's wild yeah it is and what's even more wild is so playboy is obviously an adult magazine is what i'm gonna call it yes and there's this thing called the centerfold in which you have a large spread that's a weird word for it yes a spread that's what it is <laughs> of a nude woman but silverstein's comics were the second most popular thing about playboy magazine like after the centerfold wow it was like the centerfold him in terms of popularity and why people bought the magazines wow so it was kind of like a newspaper where people are like front page sports comics yeah okay i'm buying into it what a wild start to a career (laughs) yeah he had an alter ego called uncle shelby in which he published books for adults so like his children's books but like a lot crasser why is his children's persona just his name and then his Persona for adults is Uncle Shelby. I don't know. I love it, though. It's not suave. He was also a Grammy winner. What? Because he wrote (laughs) songs. You may or may not know this song, but he wrote Johnny Cash's A Boy Named Sue. What? Yeah. And that's how he got his Grammy. He wrote a bunch of other songs for Cash. He wrote songs for Thelma and Louise movie. He has a song called I Got Stoned and I Missed It. I just don't know what to do with all this information. You're hitting me with a lot of information at the same time. I'm aware. He is like just a breath of information. He was also very particular about how his works were published down to like the binding of the books the paper was printed on. He had like this thing where he thought that like a lot of care should be taken in how books are printed. So like where the words are on the page, what type of paper it was, the color of the paper, the feeling of the paper, the feeling of the binding. He was actually very against paperbacks because he didn't want his work diminished in any way. So much like you. Yeah. I mean, it turned out well because his books are beautiful. Yes. But also he seems like an editor and a publisher's worst nightmare. Oh, he had this thing with his editor where he didn't let his editor really do much to his work. He was like, okay, you're allowed to tell me if like something's not appropriate for children or like if I should maybe try to elaborate, but you're not allowed to change the actual words I put on the page. Like, if you're not happy with a word, too bad. He's an editor's nightmare. Yeah. But it seems like he had a good relationship with his his editor, so that's great. So today we're going to go through a couple poems, and we're going to talk about them, and then we're going to talk about one of his uh, children's books. All right. I just read most of these poems for the first time today, mm-hmm. so you can hit me with the name, and then I can give you my summary of what I think the poem is about. Cool. Let's do that. So we're going to start with the first one, which is from A Light in the Attic. The copy I have, it's on page 71. It's called Come Skating. Okay, so this poem is about 
someone whose friends invite them skating and they're so excited and they're gonna go and it sounds so great and they bring their roller oh it's ice it's ice skating they fell through the ice yeah so it just ends with a picture of like a little head with a toque poking out of a cracked ice very dangerous very dangerous i've had this conversation with people especially at the beginning basically um the gist of the poem is they told me to come skating it would be nice they said and then it wasn't and i've had that conversation with many of friends come skating they said it'll be fun they said yeah and so i've had that like actual conversation with many people <laughs> like yeah let's go skating it's gonna be nice it's gonna be fun and then they're like two minutes in and they're like my feet hurt I don't want to be here. It's cold. And I'm like, it's good exercise. And they're like, Amy, let's go home. And I'm like, no, we're doing 16 kilometers. Let's go. I found it fun because it's kind of obvious, I think, to us that because of the toque that it's ice skating. Also, we're Canadian. So, of course, we know that it's ice skating. But I find it funny that, you know, there's kind of this like thing of like, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. And then they're like, I brought my roller skates when I probably shouldn't have. And I thought that was nice. I think it's a nice little plot twist at the end. Kind of like your couch surfing poem. Yeah, exactly like my couch surfing poem. You see, I, much like Silverstein, am an original. I did not know about this poem when I wrote my couch surfing poem. And now here I am. You're very original. Also, you sound like a nightmare to go skating with. Oh, 100%. Nobody likes it. It's why I go alone. Just forcing everyone to keep going, even though you're complaining the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I go skating for the workout, not for the social aspect there's a really long skating rink where i am redacted redacted (laughs) it's about 16 kilometers long so i go at like 7 a.m because i know it's the best ice and this is in the morning and like nobody else is there and nobody ever comes with me because they know they're gonna have to skate 16 kilometers i don't make friends you're not here to make friends no i'm here to work out okay what's next so the next one is from the book everything on it On my page, it's on page 90 and 91, and it's called Housebroken. So this poem sounds like husband and wife duo, maybe? Mm. And the picture is of a masculine-looking person. So I'm guessing it's a husband talking to a wife. So the husband is like, wow, you house trained the puppy. That's great. You trained him to go on newspaper. That's awesome. Can you maybe like train him not to go on the newspaper that I'm currently reading? I like the like satire thing here where it's like, yeah, okay, you've done this thing. But maybe like you're not housebreaking it if it's peeing on my newspaper when I'm (laughs) using it. I like how all his poems so far have ended in like this kind of witty little plot twist situation. Yeah, my my partner, one of the things that he said, he was like you know he's just like a guy who likes to write funny witty charming type of prose and poems and he's just like a cool guy you know Mm -hmm. and he did cool stuff and it's quick it's easy and it's entertaining this is the type of poetry i really enjoy i mean i also really enjoy beautiful literary poems like the love song of j alfred proofrock is my favorite poem but this is the type of poetry that it's quick it's fun it's good (laughs) This is the type of poetry that I'll share. Yeah. I feel like this is the kind of thing like you'll go to like a house party and then somebody will be drunk and somebody will go to a bookshelf and grab it. And then you're all kind of just going to sit around and read these and cackle while you're drunk. You go to very different kinds of house parties than I used to go to. Yes. <laughs> That's fine, though. But yeah, no, I I like this one. And the illustration is really cute, too. Like, there's, like, this grumpy old man reading his newspaper, and then there's a dog that looks a bit too pleased with himself. 
with no neck. He's just like a body and a face. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like, you know, the old man has probably been reading his newspaper for too long and now he's all like hunchy hunch. Yes. No one in this illustration has a neck, actually. That's a good point. And the old man also does not have a neck. Yeah. So our last three, because we have three more, they're quick. They're easy. They're short. It's fun. Rad. Are from the book called Falling Up. Falling Up is the one I had. I knew nothing about these poems until I met my partner and he moved in. And I was like, what are all these books? And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, what are all these books? And he was like, I thought you were an English major. And I was like, yes. English majors are not out here reading Shel Silverstein. <laughs> we really should be. I feel like there's so much content about Shel Silverstein. And I'm pitching this to whichever like English teacher or professor that we have on air with us um, as our listeners. Y'all should do a course on Shel Silverstein. If you're a person who's in school right now and you're looking to do like an independent study or like a thesis or something and you're like, oh, I don't have any new ideas. Shel Silverstein. Our school had a children's lit course and children's lit is like a genuine degree that you can take. So you could take elective courses if you're an English major that are also children's lit. And hopefully they're out here reading Shel Silverstein because it slaps. It slaps. So the one I'm starting with is uh, Turkey, question mark. It's on page 34 of my copy. Okay, so this poem is about a guy who goes to a family barbecue and he eats one turkey drumstick and everyone freaks out. They get so mad at him. He's like, why is everyone getting so mad at me? And the person who is the most mad is the drummer. I love this vegan poem. <laughs> I love this poem that's like challenging your expectations about what a turkey is. They're like, you think a turkey is food? Well, that's actually Steve and he's in our band, okay? <laughs> See, I really liked it because like he just ate the drumstick, like the drummer's drumstick. And the illustration mm -hmm. is hilarious because the guy looks like he's like a turkey drumstick leg, but he also has like across his cheeks, the normal drumstick for the drums. So it's, it's hard to explain. It's like his head and his neck kind of look like the top and bottom of a drumstick, I guess. Like a turkey. Yeah. A bird drumstick yeah. type situation. And then in his mouth sticking out his cheeks is like the shape of a drumstick as if he had put it in his mouth sideways. Yeah, because he tried to eat it because he only ate one of them. Mm -hmm. It was tough and he skinny. He didn't eat it very well. It's still in his mouth. Yeah. He didn't even swallow. Maybe he was taking Bex's advice from last week about how to eat fruit. Probably. He seemed really confused about food, so I wouldn't put it past him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the actual image is hilarious to look at. It's one of those other like quick at the end kind of like, whoops, the drummer's mad at me. It's good. He's also wearing like a propeller hat. Yeah. Which just enhances the ridiculousness. Yeah. I feel like it takes a special type of person to wear a propeller hat and I feel like that personality is a type that would eat a drumstick. Indeed. And also chalk probably. Gross. The other one we're going to talk about is called uh, Writer Waiting and it's on page 58. So it's a little kid sitting at a computer and he's excited that he's got his new computer and he's going to write something so fast because the computer can sort and spell for him and it can punctuate and it can underline and it can type and it can copy and it can correct and he's going to have have a whole book by tonight as soon as you can think of something. I like that this is a commentary about how sure technology has gotten us pretty far, but technology can really only get you so far because you still need a human brain to write a story. Yeah, I have it here. Computers can do almost everything except be creative. Mm -hmm. If I remember, Shell's very... Shell, it's like I know him. You're on a first name basis with him. Why not? Seem to be very conscious of 
the writing process and I feel like he was probably the type of person who stuck with typewriters for a really long time. His computer that he's illustrated also kind of just looks like a typewriter with a screen on top. It does. It really does. I feel like he doesn't know what a computer looks like. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about like the creative mind and how harder it is now to put things to like computer screens right like there's so much on the internet nowadays at least but like it's easy to get distracted and not just fully do what you need to be doing like write figure out what you want to write about oh but there is a thing with computers now they're not good but they can write like ai generated stories in the same way that they could do ai generated art that looks really weird and it just doesn't make any sense and i found a podcast yesterday called uncanny robot where they put together and read aloud ai generated short stories can you offer them to come on our podcast because that sounds fun (laughs) but yeah I also think how he thinks the computer is cuter. Like there just isn't nothing cuter. I love the way people used to talk about computers. They were like, oh, it's so like fun and quaint. And now people are just like, ugh, if I look at my computer, I think about work. I don't want to think about work. Yeah, I feel like it's very much like the radio of the before times. I don't know which before times I'm talking about. Just all of them. All of the before times. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about this one? Nah. Okay. He's got a bad haircut. He does. He seems so sad. <laughs> um, He looks like the Rugrats kid. Also, I don't know if this was intentional, but our boy Shell forgot to put a line between his pants and his shoes so it just looks like he's wearing tights or no pants or he's just in the nude but then he also doesn't have toes which is a whole different problem <laughs> he's just poo bearing it with no toes or maybe he's like a baby wearing footy pajamas maybe with a t-shirt over top yeah love it so the last one that we're going to be talking about is one that is according to my partner important to me and by me i mean him he wrote that in pink ink on the post that he put on the page cute it's called woulda coulda shoulda and it's on page 65. I think this one's wholesome. We've got Steve the turkey back as our illustration. (sighs) Both his legs are there. (laughs) The poem itself is uh, about the personification of woulda coulda shouldas that they're like hanging out and talking about the things that they woulda coulda shoulda done but then they hide because there is one did and I think it's very nice because it's like you can talk about your regrets and like things that you would have liked to do or you can just do them now like it's easy to have big ideas but it's hard to do the thing so like you have all these people who are like oh I could have been a doctor or like I could have done this and then they're very intimidated by the people who actually did the thing you know mm-hmm. and it's kind of a commentary about like how much energy it takes to talk about your regrets and like think about your regrets because he says the woulda coulda shouldas are laying out in the sun yeah so they're not doing something else instead they're just thinking about what they didn't do yeah like people who you know coulda shoulda woulda done something have the opportunity to be leisure about it and the second they're going to be confronted with the thing they should have done you know they get scared because they clearly have the leisure time to do the thing if they can just sit around in the sun, but they're still not doing it and that's scary for them. Do you think this is about people who didn't do something being intimidated by someone who did something or by within one person, the woulda, coulda, shoulda is leaving because the person does the thing? Oh, that's a good point. 
But I think they're running away and hiding from the did seems very much like a us versus them kind of story. Okay. More than anything else. For me, anyways, that's how I'm interpreting it. Mm-hmm. I think it's within the one person. Hmm. But I think you could read it either way. And I think both readings are equally valid. Well, yes, of course. Poems belong to the readers. Yeah. But I like it. I like the idea of either being intimidated by other people or also having your own regrets about things you should have done or could have done. And then just realizing you can do them now. Yeah. It's never too late if you don't run away from the things you should do. Like how I'm eventually going to finish editing the book that I wrote. Yeah, of course. And like I'm eventually gonna have a dog kennel. It's gonna be great. So the last piece that we're gonna be talking about today is called The Giving Tree. I don't have a book for it because I don't have it. You've probably heard references to this story, even if you haven't read it. Like, don't be a giving tree. But it's about a tree and a boy who are friends when the boy is young and the tree and the boy are both happy. But then the boy leaves for increasingly long periods of time. And every time he comes back, he wants more from the tree. And the tree's like, can we, you just like eat my apples and play in my shade and climb my trunk? And the boy's like, no, I'm too old for that now. Can I have some money? When he's a like young 20 something who wants to go party and then he's an adult and he's like can i have some wood to build a house and he takes the branches and then he comes back when he's old and he's like i'm sick of this world i just want to sail away and he takes the trunk to build a boat and then he comes back and the tree's like i literally have nothing left to give you i'm sorry i wish i could give you my apples and shade and trunk but they're not here and he's like i never wanted those things anyway i just want somewhere to sit and he sits and every time he comes back the tree is happy but is she really and he doesn't seem happy at all no so i have some thoughts lay them on us the analysis that i usually hear of this poem is in reference to like it's a warning for empaths not to give too much of yourself Mm. like don't be like the tree but i kind of think it's more a warning don't be like the boy i think there's two sides to that coin and it's a warning to both parties but there's more people in the world who take than who give i think and i think it's a warning to those people just as much to see like you know whenever you leave this tree is going to be sad and then when you come back you're taking more away from this tree until there's nothing left and look what you've done now now you have nothing and you're still not happy. Yeah. Like on the surface level, it's also like about don't over exploit nature to a certain extent just for your own greed. Mm, yeah. And there's also the allegory of like the trees apparent giving everything they have to their children to the point where they become nothing, hmm. which is interesting as well. Some critics have said that it's a satire, kind of like John Swift's A Modest Proposal. In what way? In the way that like, you know, you can take and take and take and the other person's still going to be okay with it but like it's so exaggerated in the sense of everything the boy is taking from the tree and the tree's still like alive and good and happy at the end when like it's clearly not it's like it's subverting the idea of like how much nature can give us kind of thing mm-hmm. also some people say it's like an abusive relationship that they have and the tree is getting gaslit anyways that's another point i mean it is kind of an abusive relationship because the tree is willing to give all this stuff and the boy is never like you know what maybe i shouldn't maybe i should just like let you live yeah he's always like yes this is what i want for me and i am the only person that i'm considering here so yeah thanks i'm taking everything you have and now you're a stump yeah and like there's something here as you said earlier for like people who tend to give more of themselves than they receive in other parts like the tree only wants company that's all yeah and it's doing everything that it can to have a sliver of company at the expense of it's literally its own like living you know yeah which is sad when i first read it i kind of thought of it as like 
how our society treats its elders Mm. like taking from them and taking their wisdom and taking their everything that they have and then being like okay well I guess we'll visit you in like five years yeah I mean there's obviously many exceptions to that Mm -hmm. but there is kind of this attitude where it's like elders get isolated and this tree is very old yeah like she's been an adult since this old old man was a small child yeah so then she's just like i just want company and he eventually comes back but he comes back like as a young man a middle-aged man an old man and an old old man so he's only coming back like maybe every 20 years yeah she's all on her own between that time yeah it's kind of a commentary on how goal ridden we are like he needs the money because he needs a girlfriend or a wife and he needs a house because that's what he needs and then he needs the boat because he needs to escape what he's at and then at the end he's like i just need to rest and the tree's like i've been asking you to rest for like 70 years yeah that's true like take the time to just rest and just enjoy what you have already without trying to like achieve a hundred million things that are just a detriment to somebody else and by the time he does finally decide to rest like he looks so downtrodden yeah that if he had just taken the time when he had it originally to just sit and enjoy the shade and the apples and the company he probably would have ended up much happier yeah interesting i really enjoyed it it's a lesson i had to take for myself you know because i am the type of person who overgives of myself to people mm-hmm. and uh, i'm at the point now where i have no branches no but it's fine so i think it's a good warning it's a good book to read with your kids even though it was banned in a lot of schools as much of other silver scene work was why because people think it's an abusive relationship and you know the christian south has problems with that apparently okay but even if it were directly about an abusive relationship in allegorical form and it's not there are many readings of it many. that's only one reading do kids not need to learn about that? Like, it's warning them not to do that. Right. It's not being like, look how great this friendship is between these two wholesome tree and boy. No. It's showing that the tree is sad and the boy is also sad. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really good book to read with your kids to both remind them not to take advantage of people and remind yourself not to get taken advantage of as a parent. Mm-hmm. And remind them not to get taken advantage of too because kids at school are mean. Kids are mean, actually. Kids are mean. So there are kids who will take advantage and there are kids who will get taken advantage of. Yeah, it's a good little book to read with the youths, I think. Yes. Thank you for bringing that. Do you have a rating scale for me? On a scale of wooden drumstick to apples. How would you rate our overall poems today? Like things that I would like to eat? Yes. Um, I would rate it a giving tree apple, not an apple from one of Shell's other poems that has half a worm in it. Right. I would rate it like a nice, juicy, non-worm apple. Love that. Because they were nice and they were short and they make you think. Some of them don't make you think too much. They're just funny. But they're like, they're all clever. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, not all literature needs to make you think that hard. Sometimes you can just read it and enjoy it for what it is on the surface. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. And I think poems that are just a little bit clever also give kids like a nice sense of humor. And you need that going through life. Yeah. And it's a good introduction to puns. Definitely. 
definitely. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you again in two weeks when we are talking about Heart of Darkness. Yes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at UnsightedPod. Reach out to us if you want to tell us something that you would like to hear us talk about or just any of the books you're reading. Send us pics of your pets. We love to see that also. Send us pics of your crochet projects. We love it all. We're here for it. Yes. What else? We have merch on the Redbubble store. You can just look up Unsighted Podcast on Redbubble and you'll find all of that. I think that's it for us. We hope to see you again in two weeks. And as always, we're excited. Unavailable. Redacted.